1: G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1350, entitled The Girl with the Communications Earpiece. (laughs) Our podcast title is Natasha (laughs) Dos (laughs) Dosvidanya, (laughs) Tavaric! I'm Rob Jan. I'm Megan McHugh. Ah, And here we are, Marvel Cinematic Universe's 24th film. Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm the first of the phase four movies although i can fairly say that they've already pioneered that by the free marvel live action television series wandavision uh, falcon and the winter soldier and the loki series which has such fine glorious purpose
0: (laughs) yeah they're strong out of the gate i mean if we thought quality was going to start to waver over time we've been proven wrong.
1: The Black Widow movie, or to try it in Russian, Chenia Veva. sorry Nat, the long-awaited Black Widow movie. It's a retro story, mostly set just after the events of the third Captain America movie, Civil War. So, Widow is no longer of this earth, partly because she died off world. Did they bring a body back?
0: I don't think so, no.
1: Ooh, good question. Yeah,
0: so, but I do think we have had to say farewell to our f- mm, fave Black man. Widow
1: through what a dramatic and heroic end. Yeah, actually, there would be a way to bring a body back now that I think of it because if you remember Captain America went back through time and space to replace the Infinity Stones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he could do that. He could have gone back and had a chat with the Red Skull. Possibly. And brought poor old Natasha back. Leave no <laughs> soldier behind. Yeah. Well, we've been waiting for this movie <laughs> for so long. <laughs> Release delays. It's been quite the time. If you thought that waiting for Gaddo and the Wonder Woman 1984 film was an epic story. Well, it's got nothing Mm -hmm. on Widow.
0: And this is after fans have been saying that Natasha has been owed her own standalone film after being in the MCU for many films and being a rich fan favourite. People have been cheering and hoping for this movie for such a long time. So it is a shame that it just timing-wise it ended up getting delayed even further than what the fans would have liked.
1: It is at the cinema Mm -hmm. where that is possible.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: in Australia at least, it is also streaming as one of those premium drops on Disney Plus for the magnificent sum of, <laughs> well, let's just say it's a lot of rubles. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. But you're quite right, Rob. It is a really good COVID safe way for people to still see the film, especially if they're unable to go out and go to the cinema. You know, I know it's a bit of an ask, but if you get if you're a family of a couple of people in the one house – you Know justify the price and the rewatchability means we can catch it on streaming after seeing it at the pickies as well, which I've done. Mm, I know. So you're, you're two watches down, watch not watches,
1: but so no, you've no, seen...
0: no.
1: that's a very Buffy like statement. <laughs> yeah, so you've seen it twice. So you've got lots of thoughts, I imagine. Saw it twice in the same day. Wow. <laughs> I went to the pictures where I was isolated in a cinema with only about 10 other people. Really? One, yeah, one of those early morning sessions. Yeah, right. And I was double masked because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that gives you like 85% protection. Yes. I got my one shot of AstraZeneca in my veins <laughs> a, about a month long on that now, so I've got some efficacy going on there. So, you know, I felt reasonably jammy there. Yeah. I was, oh, yeah. I'm all right then i came home and watched it on the uh, streaming so i could watch it with my partner because it's an important thing to watch movies with your significant other yeah. or your partners in crime as it were <laughs> so <laughs> that was an experience and and the moment you see those flickering yeah. marvel comic book pages on the big screen again oh. it's-
0: Been a while since we've been able to, you know, definitely no shade on the TV series, as we mentioned there. Exceptional, love watching those at home. But it was there was something pretty special about being back in the cinema for another MCU film. And I did Mm. go to the movies as well with fellow fans and there was a bit of a nice vibe in the cinema. I think everybody was really happy to be there and excited to watch it and just good vibes. So that was actually a really nice experience as well.
1: Well, let's jump straight into a song here, the Moon Song from the Spike Jones film, Her, which, of course, has Scarlett Johansson, I would say, appearing in it, but mostly she's a disembodied AI voice. She's a very pivotal character. Okay, so this is the Moon Song, the film version by Scarlett Johansson and Whack'Em Phoenix. Hi, I'm Andrea Thompson and I played Talia Winters, resident commercial telepath on Babylon 5. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R, and I know what you're thinking. Oh.
0: <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah. That's maybe yeah. setting us in a bit too much of a relaxed mood before we leap into this action-packed yeah. discussion, but really nice track.
1: Yeah, Scarlett Johansson and Wacom Phoenix playing the moon song there from her, Spike Jones's AI film. Mm. Hmm, or AI, as I like to call them. Except I just don't hit the right picture when I say that. I really need a computer mm-hmm. busting my chops to do that. Speaking of busting chops, today here on Zero G, we're devoting the whole hour to talking about Black Widow, mm. the new Marvel Studios film. Now, it's directed by Kate Shortland, <laughs> who was Born in New South Wales, raised mm-hmm. in Canberra, mm-hmm. and she actually has a very own complicated family life, oh. and she has siblings too. <laughs> and, and I think both of these aspects do show up in the Black Widow film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her partner Tony Crowitz is also a director, mm-hmm. and I think that having a relative who was in the same trade is another aspect of Black Widow as a yeah. film that also appears. So I think there's a bit of backgrounding there. You have to read the classified file, you see. <laughs> so all of this, I think, carries over to Kate's description of the sisterhood between Natasha and Yelena, and we'll get into that a bit later. Now, Kate Shortland is also been inspired by Grimm's fairy tales in her early days. Shortland also did some short films, directed some episodes of Secret Life of Us on television as well. Aussie classic. Now, I have checked out two of her previous feature films, and I believe, Megan, you've also seen the one which she's actually most well-known for.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I saw Somersault, which was her first feature film. I saw that when it came out at the movies, and there was a lot of hoopla between me and my friends, I guess, and we all saw it because I'm from Canberra and as is Kate and the protagonist in Somersault is from Canberra too and she escapes to Jindabyne, which is like a snow town, not snow town, sorry, I'll take that back, is a skiing (laughs) town (laughs) located... It's not that dark. A couple of hours outside of Canberra, and also the soundtrack for that film was done by the band Dakota Ring. So if you're familiar with that band, very distinct kind of lilting sounds there. So we always just get excited when Canberra's at all featured in any kind of film on screen capacity. So I remember seeing that film when it came out. It's a very sort of gentle and thoughtful film, and you know, coming of age. It has Abby Cornish in it and it also has Sam Worthington in it. And, you know, great Aussie film. I think it got a lot of hype around the time and I think it's a really strong film. And then obviously she's gone on to direct a lot of other films that really have generally a female as the centre of the premise. Some really interesting sort of more international stories. The follow-up films more take place in Europe, is that right? How did you find her other work?
1: I can definitely confirm that she really specialises in getting inside the heads of these young female protagonists Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. times of what we shall call transitional crisis for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the crisis could be as large as the, the guttering days of Nazi Germany, as in the film Law back in 2012, where the young adult woman of the title shepherds Four Younger Siblings, including a baby, across the now-occupied Third Reich. Everything that the aptly named character Law was taught about life and the world is wrong because her parents are Nazis. Mm. In fact, her father in the film is implicated in concentration camp Wow! Um, yeah so all of the stuff that she's learned from her parents is wrong and essentially well evil Mm -hmm. much like black widow's time in the red room really when Mm -hmm. you think about Mm -hmm. it yeah and this is a film that scarlett johansson as Mm. an executive producer of black widow saw Mm-hmm. and liked and thought, yeah, you know what? You might make a good director for Black Widow. So that's partly <laughs> how a director of arthouse films from Australia ended up helming this massive MCU film.
0: Yeah. I mean, cause they were in talks with a lot of directors and they were largely looking at female directors and, and hoping to get one to helm up this project. And I think that was very important because they wanted to have the right perspective on it. And I respect that. And I know Chloe Zhao, they talked to her. She would go on to direct the Eternals, which very excited about that as well. And then yeah, Scarlett just liked Kate's work and approached her and she ended up being the one to get the gig, which I think
1: is pretty cool. According to Shortland, they chatted on Zoom, oh. and and they sent each other lists of favourite films and swapped musical oh. tastes and agreed to what kind of film they were trying to make, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, and of course had the the discussion with Marvel about it. Shortland actually was quite complimentary to Marvel.
0: I mean, you know, we we've talked about this before on the show, and we won't go too far because it's not the point of today. But yeah, like a bit of a lack of getting female representation in the franchise and female directors and female voices definitely could have been more of that and so I'm happy to see it's something that's been taken in hand and those directors have had a good experience from what I understand.
1: And Shortland is the first female solo director of Mm -hmm. the Marvel Universe films. Of course, there was a man and a woman directing Captain Marvel. Yes. So, you know, a little check upon the the wall of equality here, I think. Now, I've also seen Berlin Syndrome. Ah, yes. Which is Kate Shortland's 2017 kidnap thriller, I would call it. Yes. Which is uh, set on a much more intimate level than lore. There's a woman who's held captive in an apartment after a whirlwind one night stand when she wakes up she finds out the door is locked there's a covert photograph of herself hidden in a book that she doesn't remember being taken there are shatterproof windows on the apartment Ooh, this is good <laughs> yeah, this is called signposting yeah. uh, and worst of all worst of all in the 21st century when she goes to use a mobile phone she finds the sim card has been removed Oof. Oh,
0: yeah, one night stand from
1: hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in this film, Shortland's eye for bizarre detail is right there and on the screen. Andy, who's the kidnapper, when he gets back into the apartment, he looks at some of the twisted furniture that the victim has tried to use to break the windows with, mm-hmm. and he just goes, I just brought those chairs. <laughs> anyway, I actually felt that film was good training for Black Widow as well. Mm-hmm. So there we go. That's some of her CV just to get you – in the ballpark to see what was going on with Kate Shortland when she worked on The Black Widow on the pre-production and so on. So she's got all these influences running around in her head. And she initially said, I don't quite know why I'm directing this film, but my God, I'm going to do it. You know, Yeah, so. good on her. All right, let's have another track here. And this is a track called Russian Woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it's by Manizar it's a single, and it was a Eurovision hit. <laughs> it is all about Russian womanhood and dealing with a sad and grey and snowy world and vodka <laughs> and, you know, all those things. Vodka by in the fireplace. Words, <laughs> in other words, it's a fairly typical Russian happy, happy, joy, joy song.
0: Hi there. I'm Jen Saska, And I'm Sylvia Saska, And, and we're, we're the Twisted Twins, and you're listening, listening to, to Zero G on 3 RFM.
1: R- Did you love it? Was it good for you too? Heck yeah. Manisa. <laughs> <laughs> and their amazing song, Russian Woman, from the 2021 Eurovision. <laughs> now, we are talking about Black Widow, the Marvel movie at the moment, directed by Kate Shortland and written by a number of people. They did take a while to find the range, successfully, I think. Just as a quick take there, one of the people involved in the screenwriting at a very late part of the process was Eric Pearson, U.S. screenwriter, and he's got so many Marvel credits that you can tell that they've just brought him in to polish it up in that Marvel style. Thor Ragnarok, those little vignettes that they put in at the end of some Marvel movies he also worked on. Agent Carter episodes, Ant-Man. So I think that his final polish on top of the, the script for Black Widow well, it does the business. There are many things in play in terms of the characters and also the origins of the story. You know, whenever you do a Marvel story and you look at the credits you have to say, well, in this case you've got to throw in Stan Lee, Don Rico and Don Heck. Now these are artists and scriptors and editors and all those other people over the years. So the comic that the Black Widow first appeared in, she debuted in Tales of Suspense, number 52, in April 1964. And in that comic book, she was assigned muscle, Boris Togunov in a mission to assassinate a defected Soviet scientist working at Stark Industries. So Tales of Suspense back then was split into two comic books. Mm -hmm. There was an Iron Man story and various other ones along the way. And at this stage, they were just introducing the Iron Man comic book. 64 is only about a year after they first introduced Iron Man. So they're looking around for assembling a rogues gallery. Basically, the widow back then was a femme fatale, Mm-hmm. She was openly Russian, mm-hmm. <laughs> which means she had the cod accent and all that we've come to know and loathe, if you happen to have any skill in the language. And Boris and Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> later on, she hooked up with Hawkeye, mm-hmm. a circus archer turned villain and later hero. Mm. And she defected to the US and joined S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Drawn by the prospect of freedom. Mm-hmm. And the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Before you could say Mad Men, she was in a little bit of a romance with Hawkeye. Oh, or at least,
0: they have or a backstory, do they? they?
1: My feeling was it might actually have been a chunk of Natasha playing her femme fatale wiles on it mm. because, you know, that was what she was trained to do, trained by the infamous Red Room, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which pronounced backwards is murder. <laughs> <laughs> she was born in Russia during World War Two. It was later retconned that her longevity was down to her having been the subject of an experiment with a modified super soldier serum. The
0: patch for most things is we'll just include super soldier serum. We'll just make that part of it.
1: (laughs) Didn't give her super strength, but it did give her a bit of a healing factor, an ability to withstand disease. And she trained with the winter soldier because that story Mm -hmm. fits in too. And there was a bit of a romance there too. Oh, well, good for them. Now, after her brainwashing in the infamous Red Room, Uh by the way, the KGB, and it was all KGB back then, not Hydra or anything like that, they arranged a marriage between her and a Soviet test pilot, Alexei Shostakov. A name we know. So this is the origin of Natasha Romanoff. So highly trained assassin. At this stage, she's working for S.H.I.E.L.D. in Iron Man 2. And she was working for Stark Industries Legal.
0: Her working for Legal, I love that. It's always like, oh, it's Shelley from HR.
1: Now, I first saw Johansson as the title character in the 2003 painter biopic, Girl with a Pearl Earring. In SF genre terms, she's a veteran, she's the voice of an AI in Spike Jones's Hers as we heard before with the song, a magician's assistant in Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, a predatory alien harvesting human beings in Under the Skin, mm-hmm. a woman with an artificially enhanced brain in Luc Besson's movie Lucy, and an android with a human mind in the live-action Ghost in the Shell adaptation. We also saw her playing a German resistance fighter in Taika Watiti's Jojo Rabbit, and along with the movie Her, she has lent her distinctive voice to a ginormous boa constrictor in John Favreau's The Jungle Book and to one of the canines in Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs.
0: She's done a lot of good stuff, and that's just her like genre-related things. There's plenty of her other things I've seen and enjoyed. I just think she's doing such interesting
1: work. Iron Man 2 in 2010, that was her first outing as Natalia – Alianovna Natasha Romanoff, (laughs) and then she repeated the role in Joss Whedon's The Avengers, (laughs) and the Russo brothers' Captain America, The Winter Soldier, where she, I think, really came into her own in that one. Yeah. And also the Age of Ultron with Joss Whedon again, in which we got this (sighs) doomed-to-fail sort of, patched-together romance between her and Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner character. But (sighs) I think about that and go, yeah, it's awkward. You know it's not going to work, but that's kind of the point. Yeah,
0: I mean, look, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I guess for me it just came out of nowhere and then went nowhere. And it was a little disappointing for someone like Natasha. She deserves better.
1: Mm, Than Bruce. (laughs) Well, no, I love
0: Bruce, of course. But, you know, I think let's get some real love turmoil going, not like a bit of a grab it and then throw it away romance.
1: Ah, Clint, if only he wasn't already taken in the MCU. I know.
0: I would have But I kind of like that they've just got a friendship energy in the MCU. I think that's that's actually really lovely.
1: She went on to the Russo's Avengers, Infinity War and Endgame. In between those, she had a cameo in the end credits in the Captain Marvel movie. And, of course, in Endgame, she heroically sacrificed her life to save the universe on planet Vermeer. Mm. Not Vermeer. Vormir, which almost but not quite takes us back to Girl of a <laughs> <laughs> And by the way, apart from uh, Scarlet Johansson, we also see young Eva Anderson portraying a young Natasha. Mm-hmm. And that actress has fire and focus. I thought she was terrific playing. Really nice choice. Yeah, it just worked perfectly. And I can see how the young character and that got from there to – Mm. Yeah, so to speak. Yeah, she's
0: lived a life. That poor character has been through the ringer. (sighs) Mm. What a life.
1: We're talking a 10 year character arc Mm. for the actress. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, she started to get more and more meaty stuff to work with as the films went on because they really recognised they should do a lot with this character. And I think that's why it was even more frustrating for poor Scarlett when she'd get stupid questions from the press about her outfit when Natasha has such a rich backstory and plenty of interesting character arc and, yeah, she's come a long way since that first Iron Man 2 kind of small role, hasn't she?
1: In this movie, you will find out Speaking of outfits, <laughs> where she got her look from for Infinity Wars. Mm-hmm. And it's important. And why Natasha still chews gum. And she does a lot of smouldering intensity. <laughs> yes. And posing. <laughs> yes. Just like the rock, actually, from Jumanji. Not chew gum, All right. So we've given you a bit of background there on Natasha Romanoff and Scarlett Johansson. And look, I don't want to take. Scarlett's performance as the Black Widow for granted. Right up front, after all this time, she is not perfect or not perfect, as it were. Yeah. She has the moves. She has the tragic humour. Totally, absolutely. And this kind of mature,
0: sardonic approach that still has a, the light edge as well.
1: I think she's
0: such a great choice. I'm really glad she ended up in
1: this role. And and I think that this prequel makes an ironic coda or an epilogue to her career as the Black Widow because we can't really spoil this. She died in Endgame unless you haven't seen that, in which case bad luck. (laughs) But if you're listening to us rattle on about a Black Widow MCU movie, if you haven't seen Endgame, where have you been? Did you get? Snapped for five years? Were you like non-existent? I don't know. Why don't we have another track here now? I think I want to hear Scarlett Johansson sing again. And so we'll go f- with her song "As a Snake" from the Jungle Book, and it's "Trust in Me." This is Carly Chan, author of the Dark Heavens and Journey to Wu trilogies, and you're listening to Zero G on Three Triple R FM. The sensational Scarlett Johansson there with Trust in Me from The Jungle Book, John Favreau, another Marvel alumni. In fact, he's the man who started the whole Marvel Mm -hmm. Studios thingy back then, 24 Mm -hmm. movies ago with Iron Man 1, but that was from The Jungle Book and not Jumanji as you might have been led to think by the sound effects at the start. And speaking of sound effects, if you hear any noises in the background of today's Zero G, it's because Agent (laughs) (laughs) McHugh is phoning it in from a mobile safe house. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) In Budapest. (laughs) Well, the Black Widow movie. The plot is simple, Nat Romanov, on the run after the Avengers' fracturing events of Captain America Civil War, is enlisted by a defector from the Red Room Black Widow program to help bring it down. Will she find, amongst the red-dripping ledger of her pre-Avengers past, redemption or confirmation that she is more defined by her old enemies or by her sometimes surprising allies? We will move on to the cast of... Black Mm -hmm. Widow, which is our exclusive today on Zero-G, our focus. Yelena Belova, played by Florence Pugh. (sighs) Uh, And as you know, she is set to take over the role of the Black Widow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is a movie where she gets introduced and gets to show her chops.
0: And chops she has. I think audiences, (laughs) critics, anyone with two eyes and a beating heart agrees she is so charismatic and fun in this film. I think Mm. she's charismatic and fun in everything she does. I think Florence Pugh is a really, really wonderful actress. And this is no exception, and she brings – I mean, there's a lot of serious stuff in this film. She does bring a lightness and she brings a bit of the comedy and just strikes a really nice balance between some of the the turmoil stuff but also a bit of the more lighthearted jibby-jabbing with Natasha.
1: Mm, mm. It's a a sisterhood that's Mm. going on in this, and that's always a refreshing change in movies where, You know, you really have to actually fight to get decent roles for women in action movies Mm -hmm. unless, of course, they're the action lead and those aren't not as common as you might think. Mm -hmm. But in this case, Florence, I think, is the perfect actress to play this role. Look, I actually think she's a bit of a chameleon. Mm -hmm. She's got range, Scandy folk horror. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Midsummer, and she's the uh, title character of Lady Macbeth. Yes. Where she plays a, a particularly violent bride. <laughs> and She's she, got a dark side. Yeah. She had the leading role in a miniseries called The Little Drummer Girl, which, of course, is a John le Carre mm-hmm. adaptation. So there's the espionage <laughs> factor right up front. Gets recruited by Mossad to infiltrate a terrorist group. And here's another one that I thought was a key back part of the CV. First starred as a professional wrestler called Paige in Fighting With My Family. Yeah. And she has the moves.
0: Yeah. You know, she was considered again for this role after getting such a great review on Fighting With My Family and doing such a great job at that. And that was kind of before she was hyped after starring in things like Midsummer, and she played – the best Amy in Little Women and, you know, she sort of got on the map after doing all of that. But with my family was before that and so I think she was already on kind of Marvel's radar from her performance in that. So she's just going from strength to strength, so to speak.
1: Mm. Well, Yelena Belova was first introduced to Marvel Comics in The Inhumans number 5 in 1999 and was created by Devin Grayson and J.G. Jones. And she is the second character to bear the title of Black Widow because the Black Widow program essentially got rolled out of the Red Room and basically it's brainwashed or otherwise coerced Young women have been turned into spies and assassins. She was first seen on screen, as far as I know, as an animated character in the Avengers Assemble show, voiced by Julie Nathanson, who has also been known as the voice of Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Who has been in lots of animated properties in Disney and videos. So now she's playing... Mm -hmm. That character. Now, Florence Pugh, we know, is also slated to reprise her role in at least one Disney Plus television show. Uh-huh. So she's already there, basically. Oh, and by the way, Violet McGraw portrays a young Yelena. Mm-hmm. Again, another really well chosen child actor. Agreed. And Kate Shortland knows how to do that in terms of picking out the detail. And there's just one little moment. Where Violet McGraw is picking up carbine shells that her father has dropped on the ground and handing them to him. You know, and it's just this little moment that reminded me of something out of uh, Luc Besson's uh, Leon the Professional movie with Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I felt like they really plugged into that. It must have been fun for the kids to do all this stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At least, I hope so. I hope that Marvel's not running a Red Room. Goodness me. Oh
0: God, can you imagine?
1: Bosmoy. <laughs> Florence is a great foil for Scarlet. It's all a matter of chemistry <laughs> in this movie, so to speak. And I really think that she looks fit for the grim purpose as an assassin in this. She gets at least two running gags throughout the movie that are extremely giggle-worthy. And she and it, sells them so well; like
0: they hit home. She's so good at comedy.
1: Where Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow is more mature, <laughs> Florence actually sounds like a younger sister, and yeah, she's not always seeming to be taking things as seriously. She's
0: definitely got this real kind of not reckless per se, but like a adrenaline seeking energy. And and maybe where Natasha's at the point where she's like. You know, this isn't all fun and games and thrills and kicking and kneecaps. Like, there's a lot at stake, grooves I think Elaine is still at the point where she can wisecrack in the most dire of
1: situations. Mm-hmm. So without this two not particularly odd couple at the core of this film, it wouldn't work anywhere near as well, or at least I possibly do Scarlett Johansson a, a disservice there. But the thing, the point of having this, almost like a shake-and-bake family. Her other family are the Avengers, you know. (laughs) So I feel that we get to see Natasha more clearly via her proximity to these other characters who essentially form what is a family movie if your family was The Incredibles. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's kind of about found families but found families that behave with the downsides of family families that you can't choose.
1: Well. You don't get to choose your family, but sometimes you can genetically engineer them or assign them in the Marvel Universe. David Harbour plays Alexei Shostakov. Now, he's not actually playing Black Widow's husband. As we were talking about before, the origin of that character is Red Guardian, the Captain America knockoff in the Soviet Union back in the day. And Red Guardian is another franchise hero. There's been at least seven different characters with that name. In this case, he is played by David Harbour. Yeah one of our most beloved actors from Stranger Things, (laughs) Sheriff Jim Hopper. And I was just wondering, maybe Jim Hopper we last saw was over in Russia. Maybe he was brainwashed and this is what happened. (laughs) That's going to be
0: a hell of an Easter egg.
1: (laughs) We've seen him most recently, at least I have, in the inexplicably ill-judged Hellboy 2019. Yeah, I skipped that one. (laughs) He acquitted himself well, at least, there. Suicide Squad and The Green Hornet, he's also had supporting roles in. And I just think he's a hell of a believable and likeable actor. He plays Red Guardian with gusto. And according to Harbour, it was great to put on the gear.
0: Yeah, he's having a great time. I honestly think part of it is they all seem pretty happy to be there, which you can tell when actors aren't into it. And I think that he's just having a ball.
1: Mm. He plays the sort of over-the-hill Red Guardian, but he's not dead yet, not ready to lay down his shield. And I, the, for me, the best thing about it is his <laughs> couldn't care less, but has he talked about me recently? Jealousy of a certain American Avenger, <laughs> shall we say. Apparently, Harbour said he was inspired a bit by Ricky Gervais in The Office. To sort <laughs> Isn't of biggest... everyone?
0: Everyone always has given yeah. that David Brent callback. <laughs>
1: Yeah, a bit awkward, the embarrassing dad in this. In fact, the perfect sitcom, Father, you know. Mm. Mm. (laughs) And we've seen this this sitcom dad roll down from the Flintstones onwards, you know. It's not a new invention. The awkward dad who just doesn't know quite how to get things right, but in the end will have, you know. (laughs) A certain charm. Yeah, he gets a lot of the comic relief in this film. Yep. And, you know, if you you might hang around for his big reconciliation speech at some stage, if he ever gets to give it. <laughs> now, opposite him is Rachel Weiss playing no. Malena Vostokov, who is another Black Widow alumni. Of course, we know her as the librarian in The Mummy from 1999 and its sequel, and The Lovely Bones, Peter Jackson's crime not really sure what to call that, crime fantasy movie in a way. And where she was also in that movie, which not a whole lot of people have seen, but which I really love, Agora, about um, a librarian in ancient times, Hypatia, very sad movie. And this is another one I thought was a good call-out for Black Widow. She plays a Soviet sniper in Jean-Jacques Anoud's Enemy at the Gates, where she lugs a sniper's rifle around. And in the 2010s, she got to be in the Bourne Legacy, crossed films with Jeremy Renner, the MCU's Hawkeye. She actually yeah. does carry a sniper rifle in Black Widow, and she looks like she knows what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> of course, she has. Speaking of spies, she has her own Bond boy, mm-hmm. Daniel Craig, her husband. So oh, you know, are they married? Yeah, she's an American citizen now. So, oh, good. Yeah, to be it's, just, it's just strange stuff there. <laughs> Back echoes. Another actor I should mention, O.T. Fagbenny, playing Rick Uh Mason, British actor, writer and director. That's the real O.T., not the character. Uh, He was in the Doctor Who story, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. And he's one of uh, Natasha's fixers and finders because she's not with the Avengers at this stage in the movie. She needs someone who can be a gopher. Yeah his, yeah. his most enduring characteristic is that he's always a bit sleepy because he's been flying across seven different time zones. <laughs> but he gets the job done. Billy Hurt is back as Thaddeus Ross. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very far from his altered states and Duke Leto from David Lynch's Dune. One of more than two MCU characters in this film that we've seen before. I'm not mm-hmm. going to tell you about the others. Obviously, the Black Widow is one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ray Winston pops up as the head of the Red Room. The well-known hard man who I last saw as Growl Tiger in Cats.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're really adding yourself as someone who's seen some real corkers lately, haven't you, Rob?
1: <laughs> growl Tiger is pretty tough. <laughs> Now, he plays the head of the Red Room, as I said, and Mm -hmm. normally I like a bit more nuance from my supervillains. What do we know about this character? Well, he has a bit of a dodgy Russian accent when he speaks English. Yep. And he's a cowardly bully who exploits children and beats up on women, but only when they're helpless. Yep. So we don't need to know if he paints watercolours in his spare time. I (laughs) think that says it all for this character.
0: And... I do agree, I want to focus on Natasha and the the core four that we've got there, the family, faux family unit of Rachel Weiss, DK Harbour, Florence Pugh, and Scarlett Johansson. I don't need minutes spent trying to flush out this villain character in this case. I think we're fine. I don't care that it's not the most complex villain, to be honest. I'm happy mm. to cut caricature up this fellow. <laughs>
1: And speaking of caricature and people who can do good mimicking, Taskmaster, a Mm. Marvel comic character who only has to see the fighting style of an opponent once and they can mimic them. Physical-based things, for one thing, skill sets and so on, but probably not as effective at tech-based ones like Iron Man. I mean, how do you sort of... Well... It's not going to work. (laughs) It's a
0: bit pale there. I... Look...
1: Taskmaster is a character who debuted in Avengers 195 back in 1980, created by writer David Michelini and artist George Perez.
0: You know, I I don't want to talk too much about it, and I'm definitely not going to crap on the film because I really loved it, but I'll just say I think that was a bit, didn't quite hit for me, that element, and I think it was a bit underused maybe. That's all I'll say on that.
1: I acknowledge that the meta plot required the way the individual character evolved. I still didn't think that the character gelled in the way that a secondary villain could have benefited from. Really effective costuming, I thought, for Taskmaster. You can
0: see the elements that are Avengersy, where you're like, mm. oh, that, okay, I see. So, so some good stuff, but mm. um, ultimately didn't hit for me.
1: Mm. And also an effective use of costuming throughout. And I did like the fact that they tried not to over the widow's costumes in terms of the ones that Natasha and Elena are wearing most of the time, which are kind yeah. of s- snow suits,
0: and it know. looks like a functional fighting outfit where it 's not baggy because that 's just not practical, but it 's not like super 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 leather skin tight where you probably couldn 't move it It looks like something that looks plausible for fighting in combat, so I think that was a good change.
1: some little notes that I made as I went along. Kate shortland likes her god 's eye view. In- when she gets a lot of aerial shots straight down. Everyone loves drones now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Actually, some of these could be real drones, given the context of the film in terms Mm of spying. She does the action convincingly, I thought. The stunt choreography is great. It's very Mm -hmm. kinetic and very up close and in your face and less superhero-like than usual because it's people.
0: It feels very gritty, like some of those punches landed and I felt some of those falls to the point where a couple of the scenes I'm like, oh, they're really taking a beating. Like this is a little bit hard to watch, but I liked that it felt more realistic. I like it wasn't just Thor whipping his hammer around for a change. Like this is some hand-to-hand combat. There's a lot of knives and slashing and punching, and I think that makes sense in this kind of espionage spy energy. Like that's how it would be. It's a bit haphazard and a bit scrappy.
1: Everything looks like it hurts.
0: Absolutely. I I felt some of those fists connect.
1: (laughs) And there's a scene here, I'll spoil it a little tiny bit, where they go shopping for a buffron after a fight. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a kitchen fight in this that's worthy of Kill Bill.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really, like, it's Florence and Scarlett who are doing a really wonderful job. And, of course, they're stunt um, people as well but just some really nice use of stunts and action I thought.
1: The helicopter stunts I thought were great. Mm-hmm. There's some aerial skydiving stuff that you've probably seen in the trailer that looks great too. It's a revenge movie but with a greater purpose. Yep. So I think that's important. Don't look for a red room origin story in this one. No. That is handled beautifully and effectively in an excellent training montage. and i actually think they got a bit pipped at the post special effects wise in one sequence in this film by a sequence in the russian avengers rip-off movie guardians (laughs) which has a a team that's straight out of the avengers basically and they get a big ticket special effects thing that looked like it cost an absolute fortune but probably didn't (laughs) Now, we are talking about a Bond movie here in a lot of ways, and they do tip their hat to it several times. It's a spy-fi movie, and more than that, it's a female spy-fi movie. So we are in Nikita space or Leon the Professional or Natalie Portman's character in that, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, and another movie called Anna. And Red Sparrow and Atomic Blonde and going back to this, you know, back into the space age, Modesty Blaze and all those other movies that riffed off James Bond, uh, Matt Helm and Mm. the Flint movies and and the Mm -hmm. Mandarin Uncle and the parodies of those like Get Smart, Austin Powers. So we're in that kind of space, really. Mm -hmm. And I think this is as good a spy-fi movie as I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. But like Red Sparrow and Anna, an atomic blonde, seen from the point of view of a woman. And I think that actually is refreshing for me to see that.
0: Yeah. And I think on that note too, like Scarlet and also the supporting characters, they do hold this film. Like in films like this, you've got to be along for the ride because you're going to be going to different locations. There's action, there's things to keep track of. And if the actors aren't selling it, you're not in it. And I think the chemistry between them and Scarlet's kind of star power really held it together. And I agree. I think it, it's up there. Like Atomic Blonde I think is a fantastic example of a film that does this exceptionally. Mm. So, and I think this can stand on its own two feet. Although that some of the action stuff, there's some gross sequences. Like there's a couple of things that made me cringe. So if you've got a thing with like bones and stuff, just a fair warning to you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, dear. I still wonder how Natasha pulls off those three-point superhero landings when she's just a mere mortal. It's wow. one thing for Tony Stark to do it in inertially damped high-tech armour mm. with repulses cushioning his fall, although not very much in some cases. But, you know, I mean, whew. <laughs> anyway, I think that's probably enough for Black Widow today. Yeah. We I have think... talked about it. What's our ultimate verdict?
0: Mine's a yeah. And that's not just because I've been waiting for this and hoping for it. I honestly, as someone who likes a bit of an espionage energy anyway, I was up my street already. I think all the actors are fantastic here. It was a lot of fun is probably the wrong word, but I was in it. I was very engaged and it was funny. And so for me, it's a yeah. I'll definitely watch it again. I think if you're a Marvel fan, it's a must, obviously. But I think if even if you like those kinds of films, you could find something in this to really
1: like. What about you? You I give it duh. Yeah, definitely (laughs) duh. It it is a a good spy-fi film. I like the fact that it works very well with topical Mm -hmm. issues of the moment. You know, I mean, if you're going to do a movie about gaslighting revenge uh, and you're going to have Black Widow in it, it's baked on the tin. The clue is in the name. Yeah, yeah. Black Widow. This is how it works. This is how she's always worked from the 1960s onwards. It is actually a firmly bedded in the tradition, the canon of that character. Yeah.
0: I think it's a good tribute and a good farewell, to be honest. I know it's a prequel and it sits in a bit of an interesting space, but I'm glad she got her time. I'm glad we got to learn more about her and about her other family. and. I'm really happy that Scarlett got to do the film and, like, this is kind of her, you know, honouring the character as well. So I'm pretty happy with how this all turned
1: out. Oh, and just a minor thing, but something we mentioned before, another big tick for no manufactured romance. Oh, yeah. Okay, now, for our Bowie connection today as we go out Mm -hmm. from Zero G, apparently there was a proposed live-action 1975 series which was going to be about Black Widow and Daredevil. Oh. As Black Widow, they had singled out Angie Bowie. Wow. It never got out of development, though. <laughs> so, Stuck in development hell. <laughs> fast forward a bit to Scarlett Johansson's debut album, Of Course She Can Sing, As You've Heard Today, which mm-hmm. is a, a collection of covers of Tom Waits songs, oh. which David Bowie provided some backing vocals for.
0: Amazing.
1: So we're going to go out with a track called Appropriately, Given the Fate of the Black Widow Ultimately, Falling Down.
0: Oh, Oh, Oh. this is such a good one. Great track choice. Very sad. I might get a bit of a tear going.
1: Great track choices by Zero G, but not as great as the soundtrack for -hmm. the Black Widow and its in-movie music as well. So there's Mm -hmm. at least two albums to be had out of that. Once again, Marvel, great soundtrack choices. And I'll probably play a few of those over the coming weeks as well because there's a pretty damn good soundtrack for the Black Widow all by itself. (laughs) That's about it for Zero G today. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. The track's from Scarlett Johansson's Anywhere I Lay My Head album. And the Black Widow movie is in general release with the usual caveats of lockdown permitting. And as always, please be COVID safe. It is also available on Disney Plus streaming for a premium price on top of the subscription to watch at home. And here's where we found Widow director Kate Shortland's other films to catch up with. Law, which is free to stream on Australia's ABC iview or to rent or buy streaming on Apple TV. Berlin Syndrome is on multiple streaming platforms including Netflix, Apple TV, Fetch and YouTube movies. And Somersault is also streaming across a whole bunch of platforms. Kate Shortland's back catalogue movies are all available on DVD. Joe Bernadetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R0G. A weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.